Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jude 3 Project Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I'm so excited because Courageous Conversations is back. We weren't able to have it last year because of COVID, but this year it is back with a vengeance. We are so excited for the seven amazing topics we have, Christianity and white supremacy, rediscovering early African Christianity, black religions and the next generation, slavery in the Bible, politics in the pulpit, truth and trauma, patriarchy in the church. We are squeezing a lot of courageous conversations this year in Washington, D.C., September 3rd and 4th at National Community Church. Listen, you don't want to miss it. Register today at CourageousCombos.org. Now, this is a hybrid conference. We have 250 in-person tickets available, and they are on the way to selling out. Um, So the next option would be the virtual pass. All of that is available at CourageousCombos.org. I'm so excited about it. We have amazing panelists. We have Dr. Christina Edmondson, Dr. Howard John Wesley, Dr. Esau McCauley, Dr. Eric Mason, Dr. Lisa Bowens, Dr. Otis Moss, Dr. Marvin McMickle, Dr. Vince Bantu, Dr. Jacqueline Rivers, Dr. Cheryl Sanders. It's going to be amazing. I would not miss it, whether in person or virtually. So get your tickets today at CourageousConvos.org. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Thank you for watching another episode of the G3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G3 Project, and I'm so excited to have my friend Yolanda Solomon with us today. Welcome, Yolanda. Hey, Lisa. How are you? My pleasure to be with you. Um, so good to see you, sis. Always, always a good time on the G3 Project Podcast. Yes, and you, we tried to record this uh, some months ago, and had an audio issue, uh, but y'all know Yolanda, she was a part of our Through Eyes of Color virtual experience. Uh, many of y'all loved uh, her episode and the clips we had around social, a few of them did really well, so y'all are familiar with her. Uh, for those who may not have seen you on those things, tell our audience just a little bit about yourself. Sure, uh, it's my pleasure. Like uh, you said, my name is Yolanda Solomon. Um, I am a very proud, very proud Brooklyn native. Um, born and raised. Um, and these days I have the pleasure of serving um, as uh, director of discipleship at our local congregation, Epiphany Church, Brooklyn. I've been doing that since about uh, January. But prior to that, for about seven, eight years or so, um, I was able to serve um, on Columbia University's campus, working in campus ministry with undergraduate students. And um, that's really, you know, what I've been doing for the past 10 years or so. Um, and I'm just really a fan. I'm a fan of the Jew3 Project. Um, I listen to the podcast and um, just super excited in helping, you know, this younger generation um, just figure out, you know, questions that they have about the faith. There's so many um, varying narratives about what Christianity is, especially in 2021. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's just my pleasure to just kind of help do a little demystification Um you know, as someone who is moving into auntie status, I'm officially, <laughs> you know, when you start saying young people, you're not a young person anymore. 
That's so, true. Yeah. Yeah, awesome to have you. Today we're going to be talking about, you know, how to engage the next generation, specifically Gen Z. Um, And Gen Z is different from millennials because I think people get that wrong. They are calling everybody that's young millennials. And it's like, no, I'm a millennial, but I'm 35 years. I'm almost 35 years old. I'll be 35 in February, but (laughs) I'm a millennial. Uh, That is not Gen Z. That's not the same thing. Um, So just tell our audience what is like, what is the age frame of Gen Z? Um, If you, if you know it, but that college kids uh, are Gen Z right now. We're focusing on engaging college students. How do, how do we, what are the challenges with engaging that college Gen Z um, culture? Oh, Lord. Um, Let me think. I think Gen Z is anywhere between like age 12 to 24 in 2021 right now. So yeah, that definitely encompasses college students, you know, adolescents um, and people even just in their early twenties, maybe grad school age. Um, And so I think some challenges with Gen Z is, I am two generations removed from that generation. I would consider myself Gen X, very proud member of Gen X. Um, And I think that generation uh, there's a deep biblical illiteracy. I think even for millennials, it, it, even the elder millennials, people like in their mid to late thirties, you could, you could count on if you brought up a text, if you referenced the scripture, um, talking to them, you know, they'd heard it somewhere, you know, maybe mama or grandma, they grew up in church. They grew up around, um, uh, just the things of the faith, but Gen Z, I, I, you know, regularly will just reference scripture and they just don't know, you know, you didn't really, this generation really hasn't grown up, particularly African-American um, Gen Z with uh, theological, they, they didn't, they're, they're unchurched to be quite frank. Um, I think we even see this in music. Um, I think that's probably what really helped me to see the difference in this generation. Whereas with millennials, like when you would have a new singer, even like an R&B singer, you, oh, where'd you get your start? Oh, I started singing in the church. This new generation, you're not getting those answers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was just listening to an interview with uh, her and it was just like, yeah, I just started playing the guitar at home. No mention of the church, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so even in the music, you know, where people might say, oh, that music kind of lacks sort of that that soul, that gospel feel. It's really because Generation Z is largely unchurched. The the next thing I'd say is um, a challenge to reach them is this is a generation um, that from what I can tell has grown up online from birth, right? So just to engage them, even the way we're engaging to to call them on the phone is so scary. You know, it's like Mm. super intimate, a phone call. So just communication, um, there's such a gap between my generation and their generation. They've grown up with, you know, Snapchat. Uh, texting is as intimate, I would say, for them as a phone call was as intimate for me <laughs> or face to face back in the day. Um, and so just the communication gap um, is a challenge. And I would say the last thing, which isn't necessarily particular to Generation Z, but it's more so than I would say Generation X is just deep and prolonged suffering. Um, I, I think back to, Generation X and my childhood, and we had it kind of good. Like, I'm even just trying to think about tragedies that Generation X had to go through. Maybe, you know, the Challenger shuttle 
Uh, I remember that explosion was a tragedy, but I really didn't really hit deep, deep tragedy, you know, on American soil until 9-11, you know, and I was a, a grown up for 9-11. And so this generation, just school shootings being the norm, a plague, an entire pandemic, you know, in your adolescence, you know, obviously, um, insurrections, I mean, the list could go on and on. Systemic racism, um, that's nothing new, but I think just the, the, the issues of the world coming home to roost, as it were, on American soil, being normal for Generation Z. And so those are challenges um, that I see when it comes to, you know, talking to this, this group, engaging this group, listening to their concerns. Um, there's a difference. There's just a difference. Mm. That's that's good. That's that provides good context for even engaging or how we create curriculum or how we think about like communication to to uh, younger people. What are the apologetic questions that you think that they're asking or wrestling with? Now, see, this is now this is where it gets weird, because I just went on a whole rant about how different they are, you know, even with communication like, you know, I could write write a devotional or something for a group that I'm teaching and I know they won't read it. So I record a video cause I know they're going to watch the video instead of reading the paragraph. But when it comes to the questions that they have, the questions aren't necessarily that different. That's the, that's the thing that I'm seeing that's kind of weird and ironic. You know, how can a good God allow so much suffering is a question that, you know, has been around for forever. Um, and, and that's usually number one. Um, why are Christians such hypocrites? <laughs> mm -hmm. Number two, um, something that, that yeah, isn't, this isn't just, how, but I would say something that's more pronounced and nuanced is just how to deal with anger, how to deal with mm -hmm. feelings and emotions of hatred, um, not to be consumed by these emotions. Um, is, and, and, and because of those emotions is forgiveness as described in the, the, the Christian scriptures, realistic. Mm -hmm. um, because of just, just those first two, the deep suffering, the prolonged suffering, the evil that is just you know on display for everyone to see, the hypocrisy, the seeming hypocrisy of the church. You know, how, how it, it, it doesn't seem like you know, Christianity would do me any good. Mm -hmm. It's not, they don't feel like it's pragmatically. It's not practical at all. It's not pra practical for what they see as the good life, what their mm -hmm. vision is of, of, of the good life, what it means for them to flourish, what it means for them to figure out who they are and you know how the world works around them. Christianity really doesn't seem to have any uh, you know, substantive value, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't bring anything to the table because the Christians that they see are a mess. Um, and the Christians that they see who are a mess, you know, and this is no surprise to you, are their parents, um, you know, who are maybe uh, older Gen Xers um, or even younger boomers. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to note. And I know you make note of and not being a surprise for, for me because of that tweet I posted that went viral about <laughs> most people are wondering, like, what is the biggest obstacle to their children coming back to the faith. And it's usually them, Jesus, um, the parents. Um, and if you don't have good models about what Christianity is in the home, but your parents claim to be Christians, then you're not going to really want to be a Christian because it seems to be a waste of time. Why, why is it consuming so much of your time? Why are you going to church? 
if it never trickles down to your private life and never makes our home life better, it's going to be hard for to win those kids back. So interesting this weekend when we were doing um, some recording and I was talking to uh, the girl that in the woman that um, identifies with comedic science. And I said to her, I said, has there ever been a person that's a Christian that you saw actually live out their faith? And she said, no. My God. My God. And she was like, I bought into African spirituality because the people that I saw in African spirituality, spirituality actually live what they were preaching. And mm. I just wanted to connect with someone who actually was consistent with their beliefs and their practice. Mm. And that she's never, she said she had just doesn't have a lot of relationships with Christians where they actually are consistent with their beliefs. Mm. She grew yeah. up in church. And so it's very interesting to see that. And it's so funny because she said her dad was like, she's doing better pragmatically in African spirituality than she was as a Christian. And I was like, that's so interesting. But I was, I was thinking like, okay, this gives her identity, purpose, and structure. And anytime you give somebody identity, purpose, and structure, pragmatically, they're probably going to live better on the outward. Um, yeah, I mean, so, oh, I'm gonna cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was no. gonna say, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, and and my what I'm doing right now is mostly just, you know, discipleship with churched people. But you'd be surprised, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Th these are, you know, new Christians, but you'd be, but people, you know, the, the phrase "new Christian" don't mean what it used to be. People have so many questions. I think the good news is you know, where the, the church is, because the church isn't all bad. The church is meeting people where they are. And I mm -hmm. think, um, I'm trying to, Donna, that's my train of thought. When I, when I speak to younger Christians, Gen Zers, about what it means to follow Christ, I think what, what is helpful is, you know, I say it just means follow Christ. Like when Jesus says, be my disciple, it literally just means follow me. And when Jesus says, follow me, and you see in the scriptures, th there's a group of men and women who he does life with, right? He eats with them and he teaches them and he serves them and they walk together and they, you know, celebrate together and they cry together and they see his healings and miracles. Yes. But there is a lot that is caught. And, you know, that's, that's not like just a throwaway. I think sometimes people think Christianity is all the, the miracles and the healings and the, you know, the casting out demons, but there's some real practicality to what it means to actually be a Christian in 2021 that we can learn from Jesus and his followers in the first century. And as you speak about this sister who's into this, you know, who's, who's part of cometicism, um, I think the connection is that those people that, you know, you read about this first century church, people who saw Jesus walked with him. If you believe in the Christian scriptures, they walked with him and then they continued to bring this message of good news to the world they lived it. It was part of their actual lived existence. If you look at Acts chapter two, where it talks about, you know, they, you know, sat under the apostles teaching and there was radical generosity. And, you know, uh, this was a daily occurrence, right? It, 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 there, there was identity, as you said, <laughs> there, but, the, but there was actual embodied faith. 
Mm-hmm. They were doing things. They were, you know, making sure that no one went without, right? They were feeding the poor. They were, um, there was a walking and talking faith is what I'm trying to say. And I think something that's so simple in Christianity, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, basically Paul says it. he says that Jesus is the head of the body and we're the body. And that might seem so simple, but if people don't see Christians actually doing anything, they think the head is invisible. If you can't see the body, then, then okay. how do you believe in the head? Mm-hmm. There's this, Jesus is this disembodied transcendent, you know, ghost or whatever, you know, <laughs> or this, you know, person that, you know, said some really cool things or gave some really cool principles. But I think that's a huge part of it that, that, Gen Z needs to, and we all need to see it, but there needs to be an embodied faith. And right now what Christians are embodying doesn't really seem to jive with what's in the scriptures. You know, when you look at, I was just listening to the, um, the news the other day about, you know, you had these um, police officers who were testifying about what happened at the insurrection on January 6th. And they were saying that these people had signs that said, you know, Jesus is Lord. And that is the embodied faith that the world saw on January 6th, Mm -hmm. 2021. Now, is that Christianity of the scriptures? I I would say obviously not. But what I'm saying is the face of the church and what the people who are actually publicly embodying Christianity, who 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 are very loud voices, Gen Z sees as wicked, evil, and depraved. Mm-hmm. Now that's not necessarily their parents, but for a lot that is their parents. I mean, when I worked in campus ministry, there were a lot of students who saw their parents back in 2016 going in that direction mm-hmm. of Christianity being more about nationalism than about a new life and a mm-hmm. kingdom of, you know, an extension of the shalom <laughs> of the community of God, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like if that's Christianity, I don't want to I don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. And no, so, think, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And no, I think, ah! <laughs> I'm just gonna say, but 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 for those people on January 6th, they have identity, they mm-hmm. have a vision, they have a clear mission, and so I see why that is a compelling mission. I see why it's also a wicked and depraved mission, but it but but it gives identity, and there there is there is there and it and it gives you a way to embody what you believe. That's for a lot of people, it's compelling because they feel like they don't have an identity, you know, in a, in a multicultural uh, America. Yeah. They feel like their identity is being taken. So I'm going to now reclaim my identity, grab some scriptures, slap it on top of it. But at the end of the day, it really is a hunger and a thirst for identity. I know we, we, we just went a little far, but <laughs> that, no, Gen Z is watching. That's all I'm trying to say. Gen Z is watching. Yeah. That's helpful. And I um the the pushback I gave to 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 the to the woman was, you know, we live in a a quote unquote Christian culture. So because it's a Christian culture, you're gonna have a lot of abuse of Christianity. But you never judge a faith based on its abusers. Mm. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of abuse of African spirituality on the continent. Mm. Wow. You want me to judge your faith based on the abuse of the continent 
And she was like, no, I don't want anybody's faith to be judged for the abuse of the content. And I said, well, in that same way, we can't judge Christianity on its abuse. Because I was like, if you go to India, if you go to these other places where Christianity is outlawed, you're going to find some of the purest forms of Christianity. Right. Um, And I think we just see the abuse because we're surrounded by people who have taken on a name that they don't know what it meant because it was so intertwined with the founding of the the country. Right. On a cultural side versus it being true Christianity. Yeah. And I mean, and that's part of my response. Ironically, a lot of students that I worked with um, in, you know, at Columbia were from the continent. Well, that's, that's a, you know, and I, and I never want to paint with a broad brush. Every person is individual. They have their own individual testimony, but many of them had the most robust faith that I've seen, you know, um, and they, but they still had questions. And so that's why I say people, you know, when you talk to people, you're not talking to a worldview, you're talking to a person. You know, and I think one of the best things we can do is listen to people, hear people's stories, you know, because I would have students come to me and say, I grew up in Nigeria and my parents were so legalistic. And I was turned off by that. Whereas an American might look at their parents and say, wow, what a robust faith. (laughs) And they're saying, no, 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 it was legalism. And it wasn't necessarily a conflation of white supremacist Christian nationalism, but it was a conflation of success in Christianity looks like an Ivy League degree Mm -hmm. and being a doctor or engineer and nothing else will do. Mm -hmm. But then you would have other students, um, you know, who, again, they they saw their parents as, um, as hypocrites. So you had extremes, you know, you had nuanced people. And I think listening was so key for me because it just helped me to know what not it helped me to not give answers to questions that people weren't asking mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know get to know people and 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 just figure out um what are they putting their faith in you know what are they trusting in for salvation um what what is their functional savior you know and and just listening and and getting to know the person before trying to offer some some Christian cliche. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I want to ask you uh, goes with the what you hinted at, I think in the first or second question, about Gen Z not seeing this faith as practical because of forgiveness and their anger. How do we respond to that? Because I think, you know, you said a lot of people I, on The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne's always talking about the fact that he doesn't think forgiveness is something that's really attainable. And that's one of the reasons that many Rappers have said they have a problem with Christianity because it's the forgiveness part that they struggle with. Um, How do we respond to that? Well, it depends on who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to a person who um, maybe, you know, grew up in the church, but they just feel like forgiveness is a tool of white supremacy. (laughs) They just feel like black people are always forgiving somebody. Oppressed people are always called to forgive. And that is weaponized. Right. If I'm talking to that kind of person, you know, once again, I listen and I hear them out, you know, and I and I wrestle with why there's truth to what they're saying. You know, we do see forgiveness weaponized. We do see, you know, every time there's some, you know, some sort of uh, systemic 
uh, well, some instance of systemic racism, police brutality, um, and and the person forgives. I'm thinking of you know Jean Botham from a few years ago. It's like people who have nothing to say about police brutality all of a sudden look at this look at this beautiful example of forgiveness, right? Um, but then I think about you know people like James Baldwin who would say you know to be black in this country is to be relative and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're a Christian and you grew up with be angry and do not sin, but, <laughs> but you also grew up with, you know, Jesus turning over tables, what do you do? Right. And so mm-hmm. I think my response as of late has been, listen, um, you know, affirm that there's a lot to be angry about. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, say, is there a place for ang- righteous anger for the Christian. And I literally was just doing this last week in a Bible study, taking um, some people to Mark uh, Mark 11, Mark 12 and Mark 13, but but also in Mark, even in Mark chapter three, Mark, 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 Mark you see the angry Jesus. <laughs> um, and you see Jesus embody righteousness, but you see, and because he embodies righteousness, he expresses anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of the passage in Mark three, where there's a, it's the Sabbath. There's a man with a withered hand and everyone's looking to see what Jesus is going to do. And by everyone, I mean the religious elite. They're looking to see if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath. Um, and, uh, he does mm-hmm. <laughs> surprise, surprise, he heals him. And, and, as, and as the religious elite look at him, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to to, um, save life or to kill. And the Bible says he looked around at them with anger, Mm. grieved at their hardness of heart. And he says to the man, you know, stretch out your hand and he heals the man. And and that's that's one example, because what he sees is the law of God, of which he says, I've come to fulfill this law. Y'all are twisting the law. And you're ca- and you're causing harm to actual people by twisting the law of God, right? Um, and and the, and the wild thing about it is, he says, "I'm the Lord of the Sabbath," and he can say that because he knows that the Sabbath was given as a gift, and it's being used um, to kind of do the opposite. It, it was a gift so that people could draw near, but people are being pushed away. And I think this goes back to what you were saying about the sister in Cometicism, where what the Bible calls good news is people people are being repelled from it by the people who claim to have the knowledge, mm-hmm. <laughs> who claim to be on the inside. And that's just one example. But when you look at Mark, um, uh, I'm trying to th- actually I think it's I think it's I think it's Matthew 11 now that I think about it when Jesus goes to the temple he calls out systemic sin. He doesn't just say there's one mean priest here. He says you've turned what's supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And he calls out the systemic sin of the temple which is extorting the very people that we're supposed to be brought near, namely the widows. There's a passage in the Bible when Jesus goes to the temple, he curses a fig tree. Um, and everybody's like, why did he curse the fig tree? And, and he says it doesn't have fruit. He goes to the temple, turns over tables because he says 
there, there's extortion going on here. You're, you're overcharging with the exchange rate for people to worship. There's the, the temple has been, you know, divided into, you know, uh, partitions where certain people can enter close and others can't. Um, and then he leaves and then the, the disciples see that the fig tree has withered and they see, oh my gosh, that Jesus's curse has, has, has come true. And then Jesus, a little further down, points to this widow. And some people grew up in church and they heard a sermon about this widow. And, you know, they, the widow was lifted up as, you know, wow, this woman gave her last. But I believe that Jesus points to this widow as an indictment of the systemic oppression of the temple. Mm -hmm. He says, look at this widow. The very person that our entire law the entire Torah, who are we supposed to care for? Those, as, as Lisa Sharon Harper would say, furthest from Shalom, the widow and the orphan and the refugee. Why is she, why is she gonna give her offering and then go and die and starve? And, and he points out systemic sin. And so I just say that to say, if, if anger is fitting for Jesus, it's fitting for us, but then, what do you do with that anger? Because I think there's a realization, you know, you bring up people like Charlemagne, like you don't want to let that anger consume you. Mm -hmm. You don't want to let, because you see, well, you, aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Aren't we supposed to, you know, you know, uh, turn the other cheek, right? And, and you know, yet for young Gen Zers who are looking at qualified immunity laws for police officers and seemingly a lack of justice who watched, as we just said on the news, people, you know, beat police officers with an American flag. It's like, how do I live in this tension of knowing what I'm looking at is injustice, it's being perpetrated by Christians, but then I still believe in the beauty of forgiveness. Like it's still a beautiful and compelling story. Mm -hmm. like, like deep down when people forgive me, it feels good, right? Mm -hmm. So what do I do with that? And I think um, something that's been helpful for me is pointing them to um, lament pointing them to lament. There's a, there's a, there's a sister, Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes, and she has a book called, I bring the voices of my people. And she talks about how in the, the movie, the color purple, uh, Celie, you know, she, she writes letters to God as a form of lament because what she's going through is so horrific that she can't even speak it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just saying like, you can do that. Like prayer doesn't necessarily have to be what you've seen your mother and father and grandma and granddaddy do. You can actually give voice to the righteous anger that you have. And not only does God receive it, it's recorded in the scriptures. There's an entire genre of lament when you look through the Psalms, when you look in Lamentations, right? When you look, um, uh, even, even Jesus, laments on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's kind of a starting point um, for, for, for people who are willing to look in the scriptures and say, hey, I recognize that you have anger and so does God and it's okay. It's okay, the God of the scriptures can, 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 can take that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he says, you know, be angry, but sin not. So he's giving us permission to, to be angry. It's like what you said, what do you do with that anger once you, you, you have it? How do you express it? Um,
And one more thing, like something, and I know you just had this brother on the show, shout out to Dr. Esau McCauley, who I know is going to be at your conference, but (laughs) something that he brought up in his book, I can't remember the exact quote, but he talks about how, you know, Moses called, not Moses, Jesus called Herod a fox, but Jesus prayed for him. So you can like criticize political leaders, right? We don't just have to run to Romans 13, where it says, just pray for those. And, you know, you can pray for them and offer a critique right? Jesus critiqued Herod, you know? Um, and then, and another point, just look at Moses, look at what happens. Moses has to, ends up running off, uh, you know, for 40 years to, to the desert because he expresses his anger through murder. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I believe when God speaks to him, it's like, I see the suffering. I see the same suffering as you, but that's not the route. There's mm-hmm. another route. And, and trust in my sovereignty. And the thing is like getting back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, I really do believe that our best apologetic is our lives. Mm-hmm. People have to see us live that out. People have to, young, Gen Z, millennial, they have to see Christians embody love for enemy. That means praying for people you hate. That means praying for people who aren't in your tribe people who don't agree with you, but then also calling evil, evil. That's Amos chapter five, right? Like hate evil and love good, right? And so that's there's a tension for that, but it's not new, right? When you think about even Frederick Douglass and, and his writings, that's something I love to put in people's hands. It's free, it's on the internet. You know, the narratives of, of Frederick Douglass where he actually talked about being a slave, and, and really, I mean, and I, I was, I'd never been a slave, you know what I'm saying? Being a, enslaved, but still loving the Christ of the scriptures and being able to separate the Christ of the scriptures from the Christians who, you listen, you, he said you didn't want it, you wanted to get traded to an atheist if you were getting traded as a slave. The atheist would treat you better. Mm-hmm. But somehow, in the sovereignty of God, somehow the Holy Spirit was, was able to reveal to him that what, you know, those murderers, you know, when the women whippers, he called them, that, that their, their Christ, that, that wasn't the Christ of the scriptures. That's so helpful and so important for our audience to note. Um, this has been a very, very rich conversation. Thank you so much, Yolanda. What, uh, what would you recommend to our audience who are, who are saying, I want to read more to be more equipped to to engage Gen Z, what what's been helpful for you that you've read? Uh, it doesn't have to be specific as it relates to age. Yeah, you know, yeah. what tools have you found the most helpful um, through your engagement with Gen Z? And and um, yeah, and what's your social media handles? Okay, so first of all, obviously the Jude Three Project been very helpful. Um, I <laughs> I point uh, them to you. Um, something that I have recently discovered, there's a woman named, uh, Carla, Carla works, Carla Swafford works. Um, she has a book called the least of these Paul and the marginalized. I I've read through it. It's amazing. And I love it because I really feel like what it does is it gives historical context to a lot of the passages in the Bible that are a complete turnoff for Gen Z, um, one that comes to mind is, you know, passages in, in uh, First and Second Timothy about modesty, 
I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who talk about how Christianity, all it does is police women and police what we wear um, and has nothing to say to men, you know, and it's just, just propping up patriarchy. But, you know, just quick nugget, you know, in this book, she talks about how the passages in, in, first, in, in first Timothy about modesty have more to do with what she calls the real housewives of Ephesus abusing their slaves, because in order to have those ornate braided hairstyles that Paul says don't have, you need a few slaves. <laughs> Can't do that. Anybody ever got their hair braided, you know, sometimes it takes a few people. And so it's actually an indictment of slavery. It has nothing to do with yoga pants or hemlines, uh, <laughs> but the conversation about modesty has to do with a wealthy group of, of women who are, who are uh, abusing those in their employee who are also members of the Ephesian church. So what do you do when you have rich people and their, and their servants in the same church? And so that's, that's one resource, um, Paul and the Marginalized by Carla Swafford Works. And I bring that up because I feel like this generation, Generation Z, they really, that's an issue. They, like if you, if you don't have anything to say about justice, they don't wanna hear it. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave, leave it with that. And as far as social media, um, I like to hang out on Twitter. Twitter, I always say, is where the, <laughs> is where the angry people go. I am on Instagram as well. Um, but on Twitter, I am at Clay Films. Um, and you can, you know, get more of the same of what you've heard <laughs> on this episode. Um, also, I'm a Knicks fan, so you're probably going to get a little bit about the Knicks. So sorry about that uh, in advance for the Knicks stuff. But Knicks and Jesus. Next Jesus and justice. Well, thank you so much, Yolanda. It's been a pleasure having you on. I believe our listeners will be helped tremendously by the conversation. Well, thank you all for watching another episode of the G3 Project Podcast. Remember, Courageous Conversations is a month away. I can't believe this comes so fast, September 3rd and 4th. Uh, we have like a few in-person tickets away. I mean, a few. They're almost sold out. So you get them as soon as this episode comes out because I'm there probably won't be any next week um and it's great to sell out a month before uh that's a blessing for me it's less stressful for me so shout out to y'all for getting y'all tickets early um also if you can't get in person we have the virtual pass we are not live streaming this uh conference so if you want to watch it you have to pay for a virtual ticket so do so for in person and virtual at courageous combos Org. Um, you can catch all our past episodes on our website, g3project.org, or you could go uh, wherever you stream your favorite podcast or YouTube or Facebook. It's all available there. Remember, you can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color. Uh, we have another curriculum coming out that I'm excited about. Y'all be able to see that soon. Um, but you can take an online course, get the curriculum, or, or uh, get merch all at g3project.org. Uh, backslash shop um, and remember here the Jew 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it oh before I forget if you would like to become a monthly donor monthly partner with us you could do so on our website at jew3project.org backslash donate you can give by mail there's a tab to give you the address to give or you can give online and become a monthly partner a one-time giver we greatly appreciate it um yeah, remember here at G3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe and why you believe it. I hope I haven't already said that. I don't remember. Um, but grace and peace and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jute3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. <laughs>